Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the Bible Lab, the podcast where we explore major themes from every book of the Bible in order to see how each page points us to Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. I'm your host, Andy Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Friends, today we're actually going to look at two themes from the book of Philippians together. Now, the first, I'm just going to be honest with you, the first reason we're going to look at two themes in one episode is that both of these themes are pretty short. But the second reason, and I hope I can convince you of this, the second reason we're going to look at two themes in one episode is that these two themes really go together. And so it's appropriate to look at them together. So our fourth theme that we want to examine is this. Paul deeply desired to see the gospel continue to spread. So where does Paul want to see the gospel spread? Well, the first place it becomes obvious that that Paul wants to see the gospel spread is in prison. Remember that Philippians is one of the so-called prison epistles because Paul is under house arrest in Rome as he writes this letter. Now, in Roman house arrest, it was not as bad as you might imagine. People could come and go. They could bring you things. You could meet with people. But there was a constant presence of guards. These guards, we know from other writings, they worked four-hour shifts. And as they rotated through and would be literally chained to the apostle Paul, you can imagine what Paul would do. He would share the gospel with them. And Paul's boldness, he says, is not only bearing fruit through his own proclamation, it's also leading other Christians to share the gospel as well. Philippians 1, 12 through 14 says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I think what's making people bold to share the gospel, looking at Paul's example, is that they can see how when the worst imaginable thing happens, you're thrown into a Roman prison, God is still with you. The spirit is still sufficient and you can still be bold to share the gospel. And so people are thinking to themselves, wow, if Paul can share the gospel in prison, I can share the gospel with my neighbor. I can share the gospel with my coworker. I can share the gospel with my father. And so people are going out and spreading the gospel. Paul is so excited about this gospel advancement that he says, even though some people are out there sharing with wrong motives, as long as they're sharing the actual gospel, Paul doesn't care kind of a shocking statement. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, those doing it out of goodwill, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So these people are sharing the gospel because they love Jesus and they love Paul and they want to see others come to know Jesus. The former, those preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, it says the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So there's apparently a group of people out there who want to rub it in Paul's face, want to show that they're better gospel heralds than Paul. And so to do this, they're going out and they're preaching the gospel. Now we know that they themselves will not receive a reward But Paul says, as long as they're preaching the true gospel, that's what I care about. As long as there are lost people who are encountering Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel, that's what I care about. So Paul wants to see the gospel spread in prison, and he also wants to see the gospel spread in Philippi. And Paul writes this letter, and he makes note of three hindrances to sharing the gospel. The first is external persecution. Philippians 1.29 
It has been granted to you. So he's writing to the church in Philippi. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. So your faith is a gift from God, but also suffer for his sake. So not only is your faith a gift from God, but suffering for the sake of Christ is a gift from God. Now, it's a gift from God because it teaches us to trust him. It teaches us to treasure Christ. It teaches us that nothing can satisfy us like Christ. It makes us more like Jesus. So it is a gift. But Paul is aware that there is a temptation that if we are being beaten and persecuted for our proclamation of Christ, the easiest thing to do is to stop proclaiming Christ. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. So he warns them about the external persecution that God is going to allow to come upon them and says, keep preaching anyway. Another hindrance is false teachers. Philippians 3.2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, I think that this is three descriptions of one group. I think Paul is here talking about the Judaizers. We've talked about the Judaizers in several series. These are false teachers who come into an already established church and teach that in order to become a full Christian, a sort of real 100% Christian, you not only have to have faith in Jesus, but you also must keep the law of Moses, specifically circumcision, honoring the Sabbath, and eating kosher food. And Paul says, watch out. Watch out for those people. They're going to corrupt your gospel, and then the gospel you proclaim will be of no good to anyone. But there's a third hindrance to proclaiming the gospel, and this one's going to sort of bridge us into our fifth theme. The third hindrance is internal strife and disunity. And so Paul mentions two women in Philippians 4, 2 through 3. He says, I entreat Judea and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so this brings us to our fifth theme. Paul wants humility to increase and lead to unity. Now, if you can recall, we did a series of episodes on the book of Romans, and we said that one of the reasons Paul writes Romans is because Paul wants the Roman church to help him get the gospel to Spain. But the Roman church that Paul is writing to is being torn apart through ethnic strife, arguing between Jews and Gentiles. And so Paul understands that a church torn apart by ethnic strife or any type of strife is not going to be as efficient in getting the gospel out as one that's united. And so you can think about the human body, right? If your body is racked by disease, then your body, you're not going to be able to run a marathon, right? In order for you to do something like run a marathon, your body needs to be working together in harmony. And so Paul wants the gospel to spread, and he knows that a threat to that is internal strife and disunity. And so the answer to strife and disunity is humility. These two women that we just mentioned, Judea and Syntyche, are likely not the only ones not getting along. Now, they're probably leaders in the church, and so Paul feels comfortable naming them. But likely, there is a sense of growing strife in the church. And so Paul is urging the entire church to work towards unity. Philippians 2, 1 through 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Now, Paul doesn't just tell them, be united. He tells them how to be united. And the solution to disunity 
The key to unity is humility. Humility is foundational to unity. So after giving this command, have the same mind, have the same love, Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is saying that each one of you is to be humble. Now remember the old saying from C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking less of yourself. So talking bad about yourself, I'm stupid, I'm worthless, nobody cares about me. That's not humility. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Humility is walking into a room and being interested in other people and caring about other people more than you're worried about what they're thinking about you. You're looking out for their interests, not trying to use them to satisfy your own ego. Now, in the ancient world, they understood the concept of humility, but humility was scorned. Humility was not something that you would tell your child to pursue because the goal of the ancient world was to attain honor, attain greatness, and to avoid shame. And so to that mindset, Paul calls Christians to another mindset. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And so Paul wants the gospel to be proclaimed, and he knows there must be unity. And in order for there to be unity, he knows there must be humility. And so Paul points us to the greatest example of others serving humility in the entire universe, and that is Jesus Christ. And so this is what we call the Christ hymn. Now we call this a hymn because some scholars would maintain that this passage that I'm going to read to you in just a moment was already circulating when Paul wrote this letter as sort of a a piece of the church's liturgy, something that the church would say together when they gathered it. And so Paul takes this liturgy, takes this song, this poem, and uses it to illustrate a point. Maybe that's true. Maybe Paul wrote it himself. Either way, it's spirit-inspired, and it's beautiful, and it's worth pondering for a lifetime. The Christ hymn basically says this, Jesus humbled himself. And therefore, God exalted him. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, so this means that, remember, Jesus is God. He's not some lesser being. He is God. But what this verse is telling us is that Jesus did not consider his godness, his divinity, his equality with the Father. It was not something to be used for his own advantage, right? Jesus could have done that. He could have stayed in heaven and demanded worship and honor from all of the creation that he himself made that's for him, but he didn't do that. What did he do? Verse seven, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now again, verse seven is not teaching that Jesus stopped being God in order to become man. No, Jesus emptied himself in the sense of He let go of all of his divine dignity and splendor and holiness, and he was born in the form of a humble baby, born to poor parents living in a no-name part of the world, and grew up a poor carpenter. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So remember, Jesus is at the highest of highs. He is on the throne of heaven. And the cross was not just physical torture, it was public humiliation and shame. So Jesus left the highest place 
and took the lowest place imaginable, death on a Roman cross, crucified, naked, and mocked and exposed. This is what Jesus did. He humbled himself. And then verse 9, here's the turn. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, Paul is telling all of us who are inclined to seek our own glory, which is all of us. Paul is telling us it doesn't work. Or as Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24 through 25, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so Paul knows that if the community of Philippi will live out the mindset, the heart posture that Jesus has won for them. This doesn't come naturally to us. We're all self-absorbed sinners. But in Christ, we've been given not only a new standing before God, we've been given a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to one another, this beautiful picture of humility. And if we are humble, we will be united. And if we are united, our gospel proclamation will not only go far, it will be compelling. Because people will look at the church and see unity and humility and love. And they'll say, I want in on that. So the gospel will spread as the church is united. And the church will be united as we pursue humility. And as always, Christ has led the way. So friends, the next time we come together, Lord willing, we're going to wrap up our study of the book of Philippians by looking at the idea of citizenship and knowing Christ. But for now, friends... Take it from me. God bless.